what do sparrows, swords, and the fear of God have to do with one another? They show up in Matthew chapter 10, and I want to read that this morning as our text. Starting in verse 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your Father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You know, I don't know what you thought when I was reading that, but what do we do when Jesus doesn't sound very much like Jesus? You know, you understand what I'm asking? I mean, sometimes Jesus says things and we're thinking, we can't let him go on saying that. Somebody needs to talk to him. What's all this talk about fearing God? John said that perfect love casts out fear. Jesus even said that, you know, He's our Heavenly Father. Somebody talk to Jesus. Tell Him to quit saying all that fear of God stuff. It's not going to play well. What's this business about denying us in heaven? I thought Jesus, I thought we just said, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. What's all this denying business? thought you were supposed to love us unconditionally, Jesus. Right? And then that sword and peace stuff. Don't think I've come to bring peace. Well, excuse us. You're supposed to be the prince of peace. And now you're telling us all this sword business and i got to hate my kids and hate my family. And, and what's that all about? What do you do when Jesus doesn't sound very much like Jesus? Well, I'm going to offer a few options. Number one, we can reconcile it with great effort. And what I mean by great effort is what we call special pleading. 
I, I remember once, I knew a fellow who, uh, very, very consistent and solid in his opposition to alcoholic beverages. And somebody asked him, well, you know, what do you do about um, Jesus turning water into wine? He said, aha, it wasn't wine. Well, we read the Bible, and it says wine. He goes, alcohol is a poison. Alcohol kills people. Jesus wouldn't turn it into that, so it couldn't be wine. But see, that's special pleading. You can't accept something, so you have to work with great effort to reconcile it. That's one option. I don't think it's the best option. Another option is you could just ignore what Jesus says here and focus on the other stuff. You know, what about, boy, I don't know about that Mark, Matthew 10 stuff. Let's go back over to Matthew 5. That, that's a little better, right? Let's go to the Beatitudes and we'll just stop right there. You can cancel it. Cancel culture is nothing new. We've been doing cancel culture for a long time. We've been doing cancel culture forever. I don't know about this stuff that Jesus said. Well, it's Old Testament. It's nailed to the cross. Just forget it. You know, doesn't matter anymore. That's the way it used to be. Not the way anymore. Seems like you're kind of sweeping it under the carpet. Yep, yep, I am because we need to move on. Doesn't fit. The third thing we could do is just listen more carefully because maybe the problem is not Jesus. Maybe the problem is us. And maybe we're not paying attention. Peter had this problem when Jesus starts telling his apostles, you, you've got to deny yourself and come after me. Son of man is going to be delivered to the elders and the high priest and he's going to be condemned and he's going to be, or he's going to be arrested and condemned and crucified. And Peter thinking, hey, this doesn't play well before the troops, goes to Jesus and he says, you can't be saying this kind of stuff. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking the things of God, you're thinking the things of humanity. He had his emphasis in the wrong place. And maybe when we really do listen to what Jesus says, maybe we'll really understand. I'm not saying that... Now, there's another option on there. It's like, well, Jesus said it, so you just got to accept it. Mm, well, yes, we do need to accept it. But are we really listening to Jesus? Because there can be a tendency to hear Jesus tough talk like this and say, see there, see there, Jesus is saying all this stuff, so all those other people better listen up. Because if they don't, he might just grab a whip and run them out of the temple. Okay, again, we're reading our own preferences onto the words of Jesus. Either way, whether we're reconciling it, ignoring it, or embracing it for all the wrong reasons. We need to listen again more carefully, and context is important. How important is context? Well, you know, Jesus said, and you, you can remember this, Jesus said, take your ease, eat and drink, and be happy. That's right, Jesus said that. He did. In a parable, using, putting those words in the mouth of someone who Jesus describes as a fool. Okay. See how important context is? The context of this section of, of, of Matthew 10, really the context of Matthew 10, is that this is an extended speech that Jesus has given to His 12 apostles. And by extension, 
to everyone who reads this thereafter and wants to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, just to give you uh, some insight on what's coming up uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, next week we're going to start asking the question, when is the last time you read the words in red? Okay? That's going to be our theme. We're going to look at the words and the sayings of Jesus. By words in red, you understand that some Bibles have Jesus' words printed in red text. If you were to look at the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see large sections of red text. The first of those is the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is Matthew 10. And this is Jesus, His instruction to His 12 apostles, His 12 messengers, and He's going to send them out on a mission. And He's aware of the danger. He's aware of the risk. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep out in a pack of wolves. I need you to be shrewd as snakes, but harmless as doves. He's telling them that this is not going to be an easy mission and that there's going to be people who will resist it and there's going to be danger. And He's preparing them and equipping them on how to respond to it. Not to meet force with force, but to just not be afraid. And when you read His instruction and you read what He says, all of this is about Jesus preparing them for this mission of sharing the good news. He's addressing the problem of fear. He says, when you are afraid, because they're not, some people aren't going to like what you say, and they're going to be threatened by what you say. Don't be afraid of them. Rather, if you're going to have fear, if you're going to have respect, if you're going to have awe, and if you're going to be moved by any force, let it be the fear of God. Because He's more powerful than any threat of force that comes against you. And finally, he's saying it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost, and you need to know that God's not giving up on you. That's the context. Really, you might compare this to what we know about other speeches that are given at moments in history. And, and I, I didn't know it was this hard to find some of these. Because some of them are made up. You know, any of you Shakespeare fans, you've seen it. You've seen it in movies where Henry V goes before his troops and he says that, you know, will he who sheds his blood with me is my brother. Yeah, it's, it's all made up. It's all Shakespeare. Henry V probably didn't say that. There's that wonderful scene in Braveheart when Mel Gibson, the Australian Scotsman, comes up on his horse, you know, and they're all about to, they're all about to you know, shake and run off and all that. And he says, you know, you know, would you trade every day hereafter to come back here just one more time and fight for freedom? William Wallace never said that. Never said any of that. Robert the Bruce said a little bit of that. And they make him out to be the bad guy in the movie. You know, he redeems himself at the end. But there are some true statements. Most of us don't really know much about Demosthenes, but this may be the basis of that William Wallace speech. What's happening is Philip of Macedon, that's Alexander the Great's dad, wants to invade Athens, and the men of Athens are sitting around debating it and talking about democracy and everything, but they don't know what to do. Finally, they get Demosthenes, who's their best speaker ever, to get up, and he says, you know, I dread for you when the time comes and you make your reckoning and realize that there's no longer anything that can be done. He's saying, you're going to just sit here and talk forever, and then when the time comes, it's too late. 
Men of Athens, may you never find yourself in such a position. Better to die 10,000 deaths than to do anything as a slave of Philip of Macedon. They said that after he delivered that speech, all the men of Athens were like, two arms, two arms, you know. I don't know if they won, but great moment in speechifying history before the battle, okay? Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you know, he, he says a lot of things after the fact, like Gettysburg. But during the war, he spoke to a regiment of soldiers, and he, and he reminded them what it was that they were fighting for and what some of them would die for. He said, it's not merely for today, but for all time to come that we should perpetuate for our children's children this great and free government, which we have enjoyed all of our lives. I beg you to remember this, not merely for my sake, but for yours, the nation is worth fighting for to secure such an inestimable jewel. Wow. See, Abraham Lincoln, he's putting it in perspective, and so we know about moments like this, where this, this leader reminds us that even though the danger and the risk and the potential for death is there, it's worth it. I think Winston Churchill is probably my favorite. He really had moments where he did this. Changed the whole course of the world. And a lot of people, even in America, were saying, you know, well, you know, Hitler and Europe, you know, just, just let them kind of figure it out on their own, right? It's not our business, not our business. There's an ocean between us. Churchill kept saying, no, no, we've got to stand up to the bully. I mean, he was kind of the, the Zelensky of the, of the early 20th century. And so he's being asked by his parliament, you know, well, what's our aim? What's our policy? What's our policy? And he goes into this speech where he says, our policy is to win, is to fight, you know, to fight on the beaches, to fight in the cities, to fight where... He says, you ask what is our aim, I can answer in one word, it is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terrors. Victory, however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. Stirring statements. These are the things that are remembered. And yet their context is important. These are not just everyday credos, but these are the kind of things that you say in moments of reverence, in moments of awe, when people are wondering, okay, what's this all about? Why are we doing this? We have to remember that there are some things that are larger than us, that there are some things that are more important than us, that if there's something worth living for, then it also ought to be worth dying for. Now, with that kind of context, I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to read the text again. Because I'm wondering if I'm going to read it differently and if you're going to hear it differently knowing that this is that moment that Jesus is sending out His 12 apostles and it's that moment just like these great moments in history where He is telling them the things that matter most. Give your attention to the Word again. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid 
of those who want to kill your body, they can only touch, they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Just like it said to Micah. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And that's Jesus before He sends them out. That's Jesus before any of us go out amidst danger. That's Jesus before any of us have to go and speak truth, even when that truth will be met with hostility. That's Jesus, as remembered by Matthew, shared with the church. That last phrase, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. It reminded me of a story, a story that I've known since my college days. It's a story that's been made into movies and books. It's the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary in the early 20th century, and he was a martyr. He and his friends went to preach the gospel to a tribe in Ecuador, and eventually they were killed. I've heard this story for so many years. When I finally saw a picture of Jim Elliott, I never realized how young he was. He died in 1956. They found in his notes uh, a card, and on that card was a phrase, his, his own take probably on this Matthew 10 Scripture. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Those are stirring words. We can't keep these lives that we work so hard to perfect. We can't keep them. And if we try to cling on to them, we'll ultimately lose them. But if we give up ourselves for Christ, for His Gospel, then we can't lose that Gospel. We can't lose that eternal life when we surrender. That's the mystery of the Gospel. It's the promise of Jesus. It's the word that He says. It's the word that Jim Elliot believed. And it's the one that we ought to take and consider. Especially on this Memorial Day weekend where we remember that 
people do sacrifice greatly with their lives to secure certain freedoms, to secure liberties, and to protect others. And yet, that's just the things of this world. How much more then does it make sense for us to be willing to risk for the eternal kingdom of heaven? Because if we can give up that which we can't ever keep and hold on to, we'll gain that which can, we can never lose. Which cannot be taken away from us. Not if we embrace Him. You know, we end this series where we started. With that little lesson about the sparrows. I want you to think back if you were here that Sunday in May when we had the baby blessing. And we said that every life here, even the lives of these little children, but every life is worth so much to God that God cares about silly little sparrow birds. Just, they're like garbage birds, pigeons, wrens, whatever you want to call them, you know, all these little birds running around. Sure, they're nothing special. I mean, I don't know. My bird watcher people, how much credit do you get for seeing a sparrow? I mean, is that, that really go over? Oh, look, a sparrow. Yeah, big deal. I mean, you know. Um, but that little bird is worth something to God. God pays attention. Now, how much more valuable are you? And yet, here he says that again in this speech where he's asking them to risk it all. And the reason why we don't need to be afraid is that God knows us. He's not going to forget us. He's not going to ignore us. You are worth something to Him. Mm-hmm. But now here's the question we need to hold in our hearts. What's He worth to us? If we are worth so much to Him, what is He worth to us? What are we willing to do then Oh, Jesus still sounds like Jesus when you really pay attention to Him. He said, you've got to fear God because to imagine that there is such a power that can create the universe, that can ignite the stars, that can create all the treasures that we treasure so much, and yet this mighty Creator loves you, And even the dumb little bird that doo-dooed on your car, he loves that bird. He knows you. Now that's all. That ought to inspire. That ought to fill us with a little bit of fear and trembling because of so wondrous that thought is. And Jesus still sounds like Jesus when He says, look, facing this truth, the the, the sad reality is some people aren't going to like that. Some people are going to resist that. They're going to turn against it. And you're going to find that rather than this just being some sort of little magic totem, some magic blessing that makes your family happy all the time, no, it's going to lead to some conflict. But how can it not? When you consider what's at stake. Now pray to God that those conflicts get resolved. Yes. But Jesus says it's bound to happen. 
Even some of his own family members were saying, Jesus, what are you spending all your time doing all this? I'm doing my father's business. Doesn't mean that we don't love those people. It just means that we know what God's worth to us. This is what leads us to the rest of this worship and past today. Would you pray with me as we are going to sing this song and come around the Lord's Supper table afterwards? Almighty God, we declare to you that sometimes what distracts us so much in this life is fear. Our fear of being ignored. Our fear of being unloved. Our fear of losing power. Losing control. Our fear of being unhappy or uncomfortable. And Father, because of those fears, we will buy anything, do anything. We will ruin ourselves and others all in an attempt to overcome those fears. God, help us and save us from this temptation. Teach us that when we put all fear, respect, reverence, and awe directed towards You, that we find real happiness. We know that we are worth something. We know that we are loved. We know that we are not forgotten. Because we are your children. We are your servants. Now, Father, give us the strength and the will to behave as your children. This is our prayer. In the name of our Rescuer, Jesus Christ, amen.